0: I love the idea of using Bitcoin mining to create energy security to provide opportunities that don't exist for people in South Africa and in, in other really remote areas. We're about 86 megawatts, you know, 12 times the load of the city, but it's allowed them to increase the city budgets, decrease property tax, and we employ a lot of people. The city put on their Facebook page that they were excited to announce that CleanSpark was doing this big expansion and we were going to add 15,000 miners. And this woman commented that there's only, you know, three restaurants and two hotels where were 15,000 people going to stay, so. This podcast is entertainment, not
1: financial tax or legal advice. Views expressed represent statements of the speaker in their individual capacity, do not represent the views of Unchained and should not be considered investment advice. Speakers often have personal, family, or business connections to Unchained, which may include direct financial benefits. Please see our disclosure at unchained.com slash podcast. That. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I appreciate the invite. It's good to finally meet in person.
1: I know. I enjoyed our last podcast, but virtual, but <laughs> so now, yeah, great to meet you in person. Um, if someone hasn't listened to our past podcast or hasn't heard you on a panel or another podcast, can you tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do at Clean Spark?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, my current title, my role is executive chairman and co-founder. So... Um, zach and i got together and started this company as an energy business a number of years ago we built uh, microgrids, which is you know decentralized power for military and commercial companies um, and so we kind of grew that business together and recognized the valuable tool that bitcoin mining is in adding stability to the grid and and you know using being a, a consumer of last resort for oversupplied power um and and being able to incentivize clean energy development so we kind of stepped into the bitcoin space and then completed the pivot and kind of exited the energy space and it's been off to the races ever since
1: yeah i'm sure i know you guys have historically clean spark navigated the bitcoin market extremely well what's your like as an executive like what's your role day to day like i know you said you've been traveling a lot recently but like
0: what are you normally doing so we um we're real collaborative as an executive team um you know zach manages the the c-suite and oversees the day-to-day operations my role is more about the capital markets i deal with the research analysts i deal with the investment banks i you know i handle the the more of the financing side of our business um and then also you know do a little bit more of the of the pr side of it the Um, communications team is specifically in in my kind of section of the the org chart so you know our our um our social media teams our communications team we collaborate together to make sure that you know we're we're relaying the appropriate messaging um to our shareholders and to the you know communities in which we operate
1: nice do you enjoy I guess like traveling and doing podcasts and being like a public voice for clean spark or does it get tiring sometimes
0: no i love it i'm i'm you know i got to do a panel today with yeah. with fred and jason and and um, tyler and it's it's something i'm passionate about you know i i i got into this business you know from traditional energy and and developed a real passion for energy and you know it it, it was a, a an interesting intersection with bitcoin and so to have the opportunity to share kind of the why's and how's of what we do our business and what sets us apart and what you know makes the meaningful relationships in the communities that we operate it's um something I really enjoy so I, I I love the travel aspect of it you know I I I enjoy the opportunity to kind of evangelize for Bitcoin mining and you know clean sparks specifically on a you know national and international level nice yeah, you
1: said you worked closely with clean sparks communications team like what key messages are you trying to convey right now? Like when you guys all sync together, whether it's through socials or panels that you go on or podcasts that you or Zach goes on. Like, what are some key messages that the world doesn't quite understand about Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining that you want to communicate?
0: Or it's, clean support. That's a great question. Um, I think there's there's a couple of sides to that coin. Um, you know, everybody hears the from from a from a regulatory perspective there's all of the negative surrounding bitcoin and cryptocurrency and it's really kind of misinformation or disinformation so to to communicate effectively the fact that you know the un, the underlying commodity of bitcoin creates opportunity it's it it's a new kind of money and and to be able to share what that does to give people the access to financial markets but then to also you know drive home the scarcity that's part of the bitcoin algorithm that you know, if you choose to save your money in fiat currency and we just print more fiat currency, then your savings is worth less. You know, I mean, everybody's read the Bitcoin standard, but the idea that there's, there's only 21 million Bitcoin really speaks volumes to the idea that, you know, this, this is something that can be a legitimate store of value. And the fact that it incentivizes energy development, you know, president Biden, when he was elected, talked about the fact that they were going to convert the entire domestic fleet to EVs. And so it's 685,000 cars and light trucks. We already have a broken grid. So how how do you add that much load on it? And the answer is you add renewables, but it takes a while to build renewables. And once it's built, it has to be complete before you can get an interconnect with a utility. And that takes time. So the idea that you know we can buy that power. We can support that renewable generation while the interconnect developments or interconnect contracts are being completed. We actually are incentivizing and greenifying the grid. So that's a big part of it. Um, you know also the the kind of misinformation about you know what the use of Bitcoin is. You know there was a, a the there was a, a story in the media that you know Elizabeth Warren talked about how much Bitcoin was used to fund you know, Hamas and and the incident in in Israel and, you know, only to find out that that was in fact not true and that Bitcoin provides greater transparency and security. So to be able to talk about that and share with people kind of our vision and then, you know, as a Georgia guy, you can appreciate that, you know, there was a TV program, a a news story that was done about CleanSpark and we've shared it on our socials. but And that's a, a real important message to us that, you know, our expansion in little towns like Washington and Sandersville you know in sandersville the 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 um, economic economic development authority on the news said that clean spark's presence has enabled the utility to reduce the electricity costs for the residents of the community and because of the fact that we pay sales tax on the utility that's consumed in that jurisdiction that it's increased the city budget to the point that they're now considering decreasing property taxes as a result of what we do for the community so to be able to share that messaging in light of you know all the people that protest, you take water, you take power, you make noise—all these things that aren't necessarily accurate—and to to invite people to come tour our facilities, you know, come see what a, you know our, our immersion mining facility looks like right in the middle of four high-density home ha- housing units, and the fact that nobody even knows what's going on in this seventy-thousand-square-foot building because it's silent and it's clean. So, to be able to work with the team that we put together—Isaac, Brittany, Lenny, myself. You know, we all share a common passion, and that is that you know we want to make sure that people really truly understand what it, what what the value proposition is to Bitcoin beyond just the headlines.
1: Yeah. What was the story that you told before, of, like the the older lady uh, that heard that five thousand or so miners were coming <laughs> to move to the city? Yeah. Can you say that quickly again? That was yeah.
0: Funny. So Washington, Georgia, um, it's one of my favorite little communities. It's it was it was organized. The, the town was originally formed in 1780 and it was named after the then president of the United States. So the, the city there's a ton of history there. The, the, the city hall is built on the foundation of the building where they signed the documents that abolished the Confederacy. So beautiful little rural town, about 4,000 people. Um, the, the entire load, the energy load of the city was about seven megawatts and now, um, we're about 86 megawatts. So, you know, twelve times the load of the city, but it's it's incentivized. It's allowed them to increase the city budgets, decrease property tax, and we employ a lot of people. And the city put on their Facebook page that they were excited to announce that Spark was doing this big expansion and we were going to add fifteen thousand miners, meaning ASICs. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, traditional logic, and this woman commented that there's only you know three restaurants and two hotels where were fifteen thousand people going to stay. So. <laughs> it's a it's a cool educational process we yeah. take for granted that people know what we do
1: yeah that's that's hilarious to me um i saw this recently regarding clean spark and a lot of the other top bitcoin miners jp morgan initiated coverage on this i guess a few bitcoin miners including clean spark what does that mean like is that a big leap forward what are your thoughts
0: huge um as part of you know my my responsibilities in the company it's communicating with the research analysts the sell side guys and reggie smith is a really bright guy for j p morgan and you know you, you don't have to go too far back in history to see that you know Jamie, Jamie diamond the, the ceo of j p morgan is not a big advocate for bitcoin or, or historically has not been but j p morgan has a um, defi desk where they cover companies that are involved in the DeFi space as well as the payment space so you know think paypal whatever Mm. and i've developed a bit of a relationship and conversations with reggie talking about all the things that you and i are discussing and he uh and his team put together pretty in-depth analysis of you know efficiency of machines you know joules per terahash and cost of energy and you know, which companies are doing it better, where who's most efficient. And then based on current market valuation, who's their top pick? And, you know, it was beyond my my wildest expectations that JP Morgan would say CleanSpark is their top pick in all the mining space. But it's a it's it's a huge nod to the execution by by Zach and the executive team on the way that they've chosen to operate the business. And then we we collaborated. I made a comment this morning on the panel that we don't always see eye to eye, you know. Gary, Zach, myself, Isaac, our our team may disagree, and you know, behind closed doors, we beat each other up to support the belief or the strategy or the, or the thesis that we may have about you know any particular topic. But it enables us to really research it and dive deep and find out what makes the most sense for our shareholders, what makes the most sense for the communities we work in, and so to to be collaborative and and to have the outcome that we did, and then to have a company like JP Morgan say that about us, it's, it's huge. But beyond that, it's massive for our industry getting the recognition that, you know, the biggest, the biggest fiat bank in the world is now kind of throwing their hat into the ring and analyzing and providing research. The irony is that I can't get a bank account. I personally can, but CleanSpark yeah. couldn't get a bank account with JP Morgan because of the the sector that we operate in, but they provide research coverage and analysis and rate us a buy, so who knows? Nice.
1: Yeah, to me, it seems like a massive step for the in- industry. It's cool, like, looking back over the past few years, I mean, people that were doing research on the Bitcoin mining space and public Bitcoin miners or private Bitcoin miners, you know, it's just regular people. It was like one, one guy. Now it's like JP Morgan is literally analyzing your company and a bunch of other companies, so it's, it seems pretty awesome.
0: It's a it's it's great opportunity for us to be at this time and space. I mean, it's a brand new industry, like, you know, talking about the woman on the social media about the miners, you know, for people to understand what we do and to be able to separate the facts from the headlines and to, you know, to see that there's there's value, the capital markets see what the value is here. And what we're starting to see is as a result of this research, there's there's the beginning of institutional investment in our space, which historically doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, we have—I don't know—thirty-five or forty percent of our company is technically institutionally held, but it's index funds and ETFs. Mm-hmm. We're now to the point that this research is meaningful—that you'll have large institutional players, the Fidelities and Morgan Stanleys and the Black Rocks through the investment side of their business that are going to start to take posi- meaningful positions nice. into some of these companies. So we're excited about what that means for our shareholders.
1: Is that like? already happening to a certain extent? I guess, like you said, you have 35% institutional ownership or is like, do you expect it to just really take off over the next, you know, year or two?
0: So, you know, they, they're public filings, right? So 13D, 13F filings of institutional investments. So, you know, BlackRock added substantially to their holdings in CleanSpark. They have several million shares, Vanguard, State Street, all those firms. But, like I mentioned, those are more index related funds, um, ESG funds, even to some degree, because we have a focus um, on carbon neutrality and mm-hmm. and green f- greenifying our energy sources. But when I'm referring to institutional holdings, I'm talking about Fidelity coming in and taking a 9.9% stake in a company like they do in other industries that, that historically hasn't existed here. So as that and, and I think as part of the maturation with the, you know, I think inevitable approval of the ETFs and then logical, meaningful regulations surrounding our industry to create kind of barriers, to create a roadmap so people understand what you can and can't do and get clarification on what exactly it is the SEC wants, if they know. Yeah. Um, but I think that that makes it more an investable space. And I'm excited for what that means because, you know, the, the fact that we're, we're one of the largest energy purchases in the state of Georgia and we're the largest energy purchaser of MEAG. Um, and, and what that means as far as a contribution back to the community, but also to provide revenue to these little towns, the, you know, 49 rural municipalities that invested in, in to create MEAG as a co-op 45, 50 years ago when, when Georgia power went bankrupt, you know, it's, it, it really is a stabilization for the grid but it also allows them to recap some of the revenue that they you know created bonds to fund all those years ago so it's a it's a very very powerful tool when it comes to balancing energy and and i think that you know as it's seen more that way you're going to see relationships where utilities and bitcoin miners are much more closely connected
1: yeah i definitely agree building one of the, you know, top Bitcoin mining companies in the world, what's been something that's very challenging that you didn't expect to be very challenging?
0: So in the early days of my professional career, I was involved more in traditional energy, oil and gas. And, you know, the variability variability there is the price of a barrel of oil or the price of a billion cubic feet of natural gas. In this industry, you got the variability of the cost of electricity, you got the variability of the difficulty of the Bitcoin blockchain, so the global hash rate, and then you have the variability of the price of Bitcoin on a daily basis. When you layer into that, that our machines, especially in air-cooled environments, are temperature sensitive, your cost to mine and your output is also variable based on ambient temperature and relative humidity and a number of other factors. So the fact that you're not modeling just around the price of a barrel of oil um, it creates complexity into building these models, and um, I was at a at an event last night, and and one of the industry providers that was there that probably knows intimately every miner um, in the in the Bitcoin mining space made the comment that we CleanSpark have built a team of the smartest people in the room, and you know Taylor and Brad and 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 the group of guys Scott that oversee our mining. These guys are actively working with firmware and software and increasing the output and decreasing the consumption and regulating the temperature, but then also tying that back to effectively a throttle. So when the price of energy on our models, when the, the spot price of energy is low and the price of Bitcoin is higher and the temperatures are decent, we can step on the gas and make a machine consume a little bit more power, but produce more Bitcoin. And the inverse of that is also true. So we probably, unlike most miners, we built models that show what happens if you slow a machine down. You know, everybody's talking about massive hash rate. Well, we can take a 3,000 watt, 100 tera hash machine. um, So that would be 30 watts of tera hash. And we can slow that down to a 70 tera hash machine, but it's only consuming 20 watts of tera hash. So now we're making it more efficient by slowing down the output you know think of maybe putting your car on cruise control instead of hammering on the gas and so by by having these active models and throttling up or throttling down not just month over month or week over week but minute over minute and to have that flexibility um it it makes this business more simplified by having that kind of um automation I guess if you will so I, I guess the complexity of the overall environment would would be what I would say is the most unexpected
1: yeah. Yeah, there's just so many variables, I guess, that make it very difficult to navigate the industry as a as a Bitcoin miner. And also, like, I feel like Bitcoin mining, probably like most commodities has these like crazy cycles where price of Bitcoin goes up so much, hash rate kind of lags because it takes a while to build out that infrastructure, and then difficulty rises and then price goes back down and then everyone's like, oh gosh, what have we done? So I guess you've seen similarities between like Bitcoin and other commodities.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, we've also used that to our benefit, right? So November of 21, we're we're sitting on a stack of Bitcoin and Bitmain comes out with the XP. That's, you know, this newest, latest, greatest, most efficient, fastest machine. And, you know, literally two and a half billion dollars worth of machines are ordered back in late 21. We chose not to jump on that bandwagon. Instead, you know, Bitcoin is in the 50, $60,000 price range. We liquidated our HODL we being energy guys kind of looked at the future pricing model. And there's a source you can look up online. It's the Henry Hub. So it's basically natural gas distribution and a forecast over the next 12, 24, 36 months for the Southeastern United States. And even though our concentration is on nuclear and renewable energy, electricity prices follow the price of natural gas, just as a normal part of history. So we looked at, natural gas futures and it was very clear that energy prices were going to skyrocket then you add a couple of billion dollars worth of 140 terahash machines that are more efficient than anything else on the planet and it's very clear that over the coming 9 months had difficulty hash rate was going to go up and so companies chose to incur debt to finance these so now you're making debt service on a product that you're not going to see for three fiscal quarters and you know just looking at it from kind of a bird's eye view with the analysis on energy pricing difficulty likely going up and then the volatility that underlies that you know the the commodity of bitcoin we decided to wait and so while people were jumping in and paying 80 90 100 dollars a terahash for these rigs we waited until they shipped and some of these big deposits now the, the the capital markets kind of dried up and the ability to finance these rigs went away. So we started picking up $100 per hash machines for, you know, $21. And and so we built during the bear cycle. So that cyclicality of this space and the the volatility really served us to go from, you know, 1x a hash a year and change ago to 10x a hash now and 16 within the next few months. Yeah, I mean, that
1: patience for you guys Really, really paid off, and you know, in hindsight, you know, when Bitcoin's at sixty thousand in twenty twenty one, everyone's like, "Oh, it's about to go to hundred thousand and whatnot." And fortunately, that didn't happen, and you know, a lot of people paid the price for that. Um, if you weren't working in Bitcoin mining, you know, now what would you be doing? Any idea?
0: Yeah, it would. It would definitely be something related to energy. It's you know, it's something I'm passionate about. Um, Pre clean spark, you know, having traditional energy experience you know i'm i'm a father to six kids and so you know making sure that we're good stewards of the environment and we we use energy but we do it the right way we're responsible about it it's something i i care deeply about so it would it would definitely be something in that space or sector
1: let's take a quick moment to talk about the unchained ira with the bitcoin price moving above 40,000 the unchained ira is breaking records this month with a roth bitcoin ira you don't pay capital gains on the appreciation of Bitcoin. Unchained offers a solution. They make it simple for you to set up a Bitcoin IRA while keeping control of your Bitcoin keys. Use code frontier for $100 off and schedule your free consultation today at unchained.com/ira. Now back to the conversation. Going back to a clean spark and really growing and expanding, how do you think about financing clean spark's like, you know, I talked about Back in 2021, it was obviously a pretty bad idea to take out a lot of debt and buy a bunch of basics. Do you prefer to like borrow money via debt or do you prefer to like issue new equity? Like, how do you think about that dynamic?
0: So we run kind of analysis on whether or not a, a transaction is accretive to our shareholders, right? So the value of the acquisition is greater than the impact of the dilution. So, you know, earlier this summer, we bought $150 million worth of, of, um, S nineteen XPs, and our stock was you know two dollars and change or three dollars. So, if you do a traditional overnight raise, then your fees to do something like that are six to eight percent, and it's priced at a discount to the market in order to offset the risk. So we'd be taking capital really cheap, and then there would be a significant overhang because it comes in a lump sum. So a couple of years ago, we did a two hundred million dollar raise. So it creates an overhang in the market, puts pressure on the price. The other mechanism that's available is an ATM. So that's utilizing equity, but it's choosing when to utilize that equity in the spot market. So ATM literally stands for at the market. It's not an automated teller machine. Mm -hmm. So because we announced that stock price begins to appreciate over the course of the summer, we see the stock go to five and six and $7. We're then able to lean into that ATM and use equity capital at $7 versus a discount to $3 where we were. So from a standpoint of utilization of equity that's that's been one of the levers. The other is up until midsummer we used bitcoin to pay for our opex and then we also did an analysis to determine whether or not it made sense to use bitcoin or equity for our capex. So the third point you talked about debt which if it were available which it's not nearly as as available as it once was. The fear by these larger lenders is the uncertainty surrounding having. So when we bought $150 million worth of machines back in April, if we were to have financed that, debt financed that, what the lenders are looking for is an amortization that completes the loan cycle before having. So now you're amortizing $150 million between hmm. April and April. So effectively you're paying cash because the machines are you know three, six, nine month deployments. So with the interest rates and the lending environment being what they were, they were, it just didn't make sense for us. So utilization of a combination of debt, excuse me, equity and Bitcoin really proved to be the right choice for us because we have a, a spotless balance sheet right now. Nice.
1: Do you think like as if we are going into another Bitcoin bull market, whether it's you know now or six months from now or 20 months from now, do you think there will be another wave of, people getting extremely greedy, borrowing a bunch of money and you know probably getting wrecked as the cycle turns again? Or do you think that that won't happen this time?
0: You know, it's a good question. Um, I think that the lack of certainty in a regulatory environment creates that unknown, right? So you, you talked about the fact that I've been traveling a lot. So I spoke in London earlier this year. We were just in Dubai, We've, you know, been all around the world. And it's interesting that a lot of Bitcoin mining companies that are seeking investment capital are using the fact that the U.S. is pushing Bitcoin miners away to incentivize people to invest in companies offshore. And I think as transparency builds into the space and, and adoption is greater, the government is gonna realize, the, the U.S. government is gonna realize that Bitcoin is our friend and not our enemy and driving it offshore to countries that may or may not be hostile towards the U.S. is probably not the right idea. So I I think um, there, there's definitely an, uh, based on history, I would say that there's likely a bull market that's coming. Um, Josh Siegler, um, and, and, uh, will at Cantor Fitzgerald ran models on, um, which miners will be profitable, have the lowest cost per coin to mine and who survives post-halving. And, they did a really extensive analysis of historical bitcoin prices post having and where it's gone from 30 days post having two cycles ago to 90 days post having this cycle this most recent cycle to the forecast that it's likely to be the peak of the bull market in that 100 to 180 days post having this time so i think that the challenge becomes that you know tether today they announced they're going to spend a half a billion dollars on bitcoin mining and that's a comment that the four of us got to discuss on the panel today and bitcoin mining isn't as simple as buying machines as a commodity and just putting on a shelf and plug them in as i mentioned the kind of nuanced approach to um, running real-time models and energy prices and temperature and output and overclocking and underclocking it requires a really hands-on approach and so from clean sparks perspective everybody that touches a machine that racks it unracks it you know we have repair facilities and labs on site we do chip level repairs in our own facility it's all in our control and all of those people are owners of this company every one of them are shareholders so I think with a company like tether jumping in and saying hey we got a half a billion dollars it's not really that simple buying machines and then just plugging them in and hoping they work so I I I think there will likely be an oversupply of rigs yet again when that happens I don't know you know, with the price appreciation of Bitcoin in the last 30 days, obviously the market for rigs is tightening up, demand is going up, but efficiency is also improving. So machines that were latest, greatest state-of-the-art 24 months ago, um, you know, you were talking a 3,000-watt machine um, at 100 hundred terahash, so, you know, 30 watts a terahash. The new S21s that we just bought, 4.4 hash this summer, those are 14 we paid 14 dollars a terahash for those and they're 15 watts per terahash and double the output in 2 years yeah. so if you look at the efficiency of the space it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for the companies that haven't invested in efficiency that aren't vertically integrated maybe that have outdated equipment you know a less efficient bitcoin mining fleet i think hash rate is going to spike between now and having but the research guys that I've spoken to, Reggie and Josh and the, you know, even like Chardon and, and BTIG and HC Wainwright, and you know, now we're covered by Alliance Bernstein as well. these, these analysts all theorize that somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of the hash rate's going to fall offline at the having. Now does it stay offline? Does it stay offline for 30, 60, 90, 180 days? Or is it like last time when, you know, the most common machine was an S17? Prices go up, efficiency demands go up, and pretty soon, you know, all the S9s are unplugged. The S17s become a boat anchor, and now it's really about focusing on efficiency. So, it's this—it's a gamble, right? You want to—you want to have the right infrastructure, you want to have the right equipment, you want to have the right cooling properties, you want to have the lowest PUE on your on your data centers, but then you want to have the most efficient equipment. So. I think there's likely to be an oversupply there's going to be a glut there's going to be some companies that overextend inevitably it happens mm-hmm. i think this is going to be a little different cycle but i i do see that as a, a, a real risk
1: when that happens like do you guys see your yourself in a position to to really capitalize on that like will you be there or like if if there is a you know a massive minor capitulation like around the having or like 90 days after the having, like Would you guys be opportunistic buyers there or would you be a little cautious to wait to see what happens to the price of Bitcoin?
0: So I I think that's a double-edged sword, right? Because if a company fails and there's this forced consolidation, did it fail because it's poor operations or did it fail because the machines don't have the efficiency? So I think our collective thesis at CleanSpark is that there's likely to be consolidation and we would definitely be a player on infrastructure. highly unlikely that we would buy machines that aren't equal to or greater in efficiency than what we already have. And what we've said is that, you know, at, when we hit 16, we'll be sub 25 watts a tera hash. And then with this big order of of um, S21s, we'll be, you know, closer to that 21, 22 watts per tera hash, which I think is nearly 50% of what the current average hash rate is at like, or that um, hash price or joules per tera hash is at like 38 joules per terahash so i think you know there will be consolidation i've spoken to a lot of miners that are already kind of maybe testing the waters to see what the opportunities look like um, i think we will continue to grow organically find opportunities for infrastructure build greenfield acquire um, maybe existing data centers that we can operate the clean spark way but one thing that zach has kind of really known for saying is we refuse to grow just for the purpose of growing and it has to be to grow for the clean spark way and to continue to drive value back to our shareholders nice yeah I feel like a lot of like tech companies
1: over like the last 10 years just grew wanted to grow at all costs and that obviously came back to bite many people whether it's in the Bitcoin mining industry or in, in, in any industry um I do want to talk about the ETF some because you do have like pretty awesome capital markets experience. How big of a catalyst do you think the ETF will be? And you know why do you think it will or will not be a massive catalyst?
0: So I think Bitcoin price has a lot to do with traditional economics of supply and demand, right? So with the having coming, the daily supply is gonna be cut in half. Demand as a result of these ETFs or the adoption and acceptance of Bitcoin as a store of value or as a, a payment method is going to continue to drive demand. So I think supply versus demand is gonna drive the price of Bitcoin up. When you look at the ETFs, I mean, we're just talking spitball, right? Yeah. Apple has a trillion dollar market cap. Nvidia has a trillion dollar market cap. Bitcoin, which is you know, by most assessments, revolutionary new money and likely to be one of the greater um, payment platforms in history because of the scarcity, because of the transparency, because of the security, if ETFs create an opportunity where they sell exposure to Bitcoin, they have to own that underlying commodity, right? So if Apple is a trillion dollar company and Nvidia is a trillion dollar company and the entire market cap of Bitcoin is 700 million, how much Bitcoin has to be seeded into these ETFs so they actually own the Bitcoin for which they're selling exposure? What does that do to the existing demand? Because we're seeing more and more of these wallets that are cold wallets staying that way. There's not as much turnover. Um, The volatility is going down because there's not as much trading. So I think liquidity is gonna be an issue. It's gonna drive price in my personal opinion, not financial advice. But I really think that the, the potential approval of these spot ETFs and a clear and concise regulatory environment creates adoption for bitcoin where it's no longer taboo it's part of you know a normal person's investment portfolio because it makes sense Mm. and i think what that does to the price of bitcoin is is anybody's guess but you know kathy wood has pulled out numbers in the you know seven figures so i think short term you know immediately post having do i think we go double from here probably not by april but most certainly, in my estimation, by by you know, sixty to ninety days after that. And then you add in that's given the status quo. So you add the ETFs into that equation, it could go crazy. Yeah.
1: I tend to agree. I mean, if if we do go into another crazy Bitcoin bull market and the price goes to to crazy levels, like what's something that's you that most people would be surprised about that you think might happen like will energy companies like re, like we talked about this before but like would energy companies really get involved with bitcoin mining would that be something that might catch a lot of people off guard or is there anything else that you think might happen that people would be like wow that's interesting
0: yeah i think a couple of things i think energy companies and bitcoin companies would consolidate in some form or fashion i think bitcoin miners will end up having zero cost power as a result of those relationships to be that that shock absorber on the grid, there will be a mutually beneficial type arrangement with the value of the underlying commodity that's developed with the free power. So I think that there's some unique aspects that could be there. But more importantly, you you think about in the oil business, when people invest in oil companies, they hope to get a return on the oil that's produced, but the traditional kind of mentality in the oil business is drill baby drill. So you keep the drill going all the time and you never return capital to shareholders. I think this creates a unique opportunity, especially for the public companies, that if Bitcoin, the price to, to produce a single Bitcoin remains manageable and you're focused on efficiency and you've got that great of a return on investment with the price appreciation of you know, six figures of some kind, I think our industry shifts from being capital intensive, always raising money to actually returning capital to shareholders, which I know a lot of people would be excited for. S- certainly I would as a shareholder that doesn't sell stock, But it would be, um, I I think it creates opportunities in the capital markets that historically haven't existed. Yeah.
1: What's something that's like you've, you know, communicating with traditional finance or regulators or whatnot that may not be super involved in the, the Bitcoin space. What's something that they don't understand that, you know, you're surprised they don't understand or like that the community or, you know, companies can do a better job of educating people on? Like, what's something that, Confuses them about Bitcoin or, or Bitcoin mining specifically.
0: Well, I think the misinformation about energy. You know, you get a lot of the more progressive side of, of of our representation in Washington, and and they hate it, but they don't understand it. And you know, Jason Less and his team at Riot do a great job here in Texas. Um, they they participate in demand response, and so when energy prices are high, they shut off and push power back to the grid. So. Riot made an announcement like I picked up by CNBC and it said Riot made 30 plus million dollars for not using power. That is a huge black eye on our industry because it paints the wrong picture. It's a smart and savvy business decision on their part. It does assist in stabilizing the grid, but it creates the wrong message. It creates the appearance that this company is benefiting on the backs of ratepayers When that's not true, it's a stabilization mechanism for demand response to avoid the shocks on the grid but the optics are still bad, so I think collaborating with the the larger firms to make sure that the education exists that people understand Bitcoin creates a value, and the energy consumption of Bitcoin and proof of work mining is a feature and not a flaw. It's mm-hmm. actually one of our greatest strengths. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, going into this bull market, you know, we talked about how like there's a lag typically between like the price of Bitcoin going up very fast and then hash rate being deployed what do you think it would take for like hash rate to double from where it is today? Like, is that like a crazy, you know, out there, like the, so much infrastructure is going to be built out. So many ASICs are going to have to be produced. Like how long might that take for, for, you know, say Bitcoin just randomly went up to half a million dollars per coin. How how long would it take for hash rate to actually double from where it is today?
0: It's a good question. Um, you know, the last real aggressive bull cycle in late 21 bitmain really controlled the industry they could they could sh- shut down or slow down production and drive the price of asics up just on their own there's more distribution it's less it's more decentralized from a standpoint of manufacturing you know you got u.s manufacturers now um um you got you, you have more flexibility with the rigs more efficiency more different cooling technologies immersion cooling and it's also growing from kind of a hobbyist space i mean we have i don't know how many hundreds of thousands ten, tens of thousands over a hundred thousand and certainly soon to be more bitcoin mining machines and they all have the same form factor right they look like a shoebox because when this industry started out and people built these mining machines these application specific integrated circuits. They were designed to be a hobbyist thing and you could put two or three on a shelf in your garage. Yeah. So the fact that the industry hasn't matured to the point that we're buying blade servers and existing immersion tanks um, is you know, proof positive that we're really still in our infancy. I mean, this is a nascent industry. So I think to experience that kind of growth, there's gonna be some revolution and some change in the technology, the underlying way that the form factor is and the operations of the machines, the way we build them. It, it's silly to have three hashboards and seven fans on one machine when you could put a whole bunch of hashboards on a, a blade servers in an immersion tank on, and use, you know, dual phase immersion and get much more hash rate with much less energy consumption. So, I think it's going to be a, a bit of an evolution. So I don't think it could be something that would happen overnight. There may be, you know, with with MicroBT and Canon and 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 some of these other companies, Auradine stepping into the space. We're we're going to have greater supply, but I still think that there's there's a roadblock as far as the availability for the semiconductors. Um, you know, they talk about the fact that we're gonna we're gonna start to actually st- assemble silicone here in the U.S. Right? They're, the microchips will be built here, and we're gonna take it away from being centralized with you know in Taiwan or in Korea. But that process, even to get A a chip taping put together is months if not years and so i think there would be a lag because there would be an inherent skepticism about the current form factor the current efficiency for people to go all in there may be hedging a little bit to make sure that they have the latest greatest so they don't fall victim to you know technology advancements like what has happened in the past so there's definitely a massive increase in ha- increase in hash rate. It's going to continue to grow between now and the having. Like I mentioned, I think you know a third of it falls away, unless Bitcoin goes parabolic, and and then all bets are off, and you know it could continue to grow at the current rate. So it's it's um it's a it's a gambler's environment a little bit. I mean, you take a risk, but it's it's got to be a calculated risk, otherwise you're going to be on the short end, like many companies were last time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Do you see like AI, you know that that's become you know a popular thing recently, like ChatGPT and and other cool like uh, software out there now. Obviously, AI is using a lot of GPUs. They're building out a lot of you know not mining farms but data centers, I guess, effectively. Do you see like AI competing with mining infrastructure if Bitcoin does go on like that massive bull run? Will like you know, you know Google and and you guys be competing for like transformers or something or? or people that build data centers.
0: Yeah, I think you know that's the real risk. It's not bitcoin miners. It's, you know, mass adoption of of you know, the 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 servers that are required to support AI. You know, it's unfortunately kind of become almost a joke in our industry that bitcoin miners that may have less efficient fleets are now talking about well we're also, you know, supporting all this AI infrastructure and to think that a Bitcoin miner that maybe has raised 100 or 200 or $300 million over the last three years can compete with an Amazon data center, it's just not realistic. So, you know, I think that the the demand for power is what creates competition. I don't see that, um, you know, there's gonna be a mass exodus of Bitcoin mining in order to support that industry. Yeah, fair.
1: Um, one of the last questions, and we can probably wrap it up. Clean Spark obviously is in Georgia. I'm from Georgia. Why pick Georgia? Like, why did you guys decide to build infrastructure there?
0: So we, um, we actually looked at our first data center in College Park through the lens of providing them an energy solution, providing a microgrid solution for a Bitcoin mining company. And Zach came up with the idea that what if instead of being the energy guys that sells a Bitcoin miner a microgrid, why don't we be the energy guys that buy a Bitcoin mining company and use our energy expertise to do it better than anybody else. And the first community in Georgia, you know, in the city of College Park, we, we had an agreement for 50 megawatts of power. Back then we had a fixed price deal at like 2.8 cents per kilowatt hour. And the people of Georgia loved us. You know, Georgia is a purple state, right? So you got blue in Atlanta and red almost everywhere else. And so you you have these working class communities where industry has gone away. And we go in and provide really meaningful jobs, and and then you you have the opportunity to allow these small communities to monetize the investment they made in energy all those years ago, and we've developed a a really strong bond and relationship in the state of Georgia. You know, we sponsor um, college degrees for kids in in computer sciences, thinking that you know, we're training our workforce. We're really heavily involved in a number of different. Um, Community resources to give back. Um, Washington, Georgia. Their their budget went from 16 million a year ago to 30 million this year, based on the revenue and tax they derive from our relationship. So, what that's created is instead of people picketing and protesting, saying "shame on you," we have mayors and city councilmen and representatives from little towns saying, "Hey, can you guys come do that here?" So, you know, Georgia's just proven to be a great opportunity for us. It's got very unique power with the Vogel series of power plants. We, you know, focus on the the nuclear part of our mix, but also hydro and solar. Um, but we work not only with, with MEAG, um, but we work with Georgia Power. And we also work with some of the small municipalities that are their own utility, like the city of Dalton. So it, for us, concentration risk is a non-factor because we're spread out throughout the state. So I'm not worried about a single storm taking us down. Um, We have insurance that covers a lot of that stuff. The environment in Georgia, it's a very low altitude, very high humidity. And while you and I don't like humidity because our bodies cool by sweating, right? Chipsets don't sweat. So as you're pushing air across the chipset, that humidity in the air dries, decreasing the ambient temperature, actually making a hot, humid environment better than a hot, dry environment. So there's so many factors about why we love Georgia. it's likely we'll continue to grow there, but it, we're also, you know, um, Duncan, Zach, Gary, Scott, myself, you know, our, our team, we have and MA call every week and we talk about opportunities, both in other states throughout the US, but also in other countries around the world. Um, evaluating opportunities, evaluating counterparty risk, and, and kind of looking at it through the lens of what's in the best, best interest of our shareholders, and what's the way that we can control the risk mitigate that risk and and still build own and operate facilities that operate in the clean spark way. So, you know, we'll it's likely I I would think that you'll see us expand beyond Georgia in the US but also beyond the US. But, you know, Georgia is home right now. Um we're continuing to build there. You know, we're we've got 150 megawatts that'll come online in in Sandersville here in the next couple of months. So, you know, I I I think Georgia is always going to be home for us and you know we love the state and these little communities, and they reciprocate. I mean, we we were rolling into town with our Clean Spark shirt on and go into these little restaurants, and don't you know, let us pay. You know, it's on it's on the house. You know, you, <laughs> oh, it, nice. it, it's a it's a cool experience to have.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember visiting like Bitcoin mines in uh,
1: eastern West Virginia. I guess Western Con, or eastern Kentucky and western Western West Virginia. It's cool to just visit those small little places that are like, wait, you guys are here for mining Bitcoin? They're like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. What would it take for you guys to to actually, you know, expand internationally? Like what would you look for? Like are there like specific countries that you would look for or like why would you pick a specific country or specific city outside the US?
0: You know, when we were building microgrids, CleanSpark pre-Bitcoin, we were actually working with the Minister of Energy in South Africa hmm. with the idea that we were going to provide a solution to create community-based microgrids to provide energy security for places where there was energy poverty. The challenge is there wasn't an offtake. There wasn't somebody that, there were a lot of little mom and pops, a little lot of little residences, a lot of community centers that would pay their share to build these microgrids, but the World Bank wouldn't finance it unless there was a commercial offtake agreement saying, hey, I'll buy the power. So I love the idea of using Bitcoin mining to create energy security to provide opportunities that don't exist for people in, South Africa and in, in other really remote areas, um, there's abundant nuclear power in the United Arab Emirates. Now the conditions, the climate is very harsh. Um, counterparty risk is to be determined. Right? If you mine Bitcoin in the UAE, the counterparty is the you know the sovereign fund of the of, of the emirate that you choose to do business. So if there's a disagreement, who do you take it up with? You know, are going to sue your partner? And, and they also happen to be the judge and jury. So there's risk there, but there's also tremendous opportunity. Um, Europe obviously had a really tough cycle through the last energy crunch. And so there are areas of Europe that we would consider um, more the Nordic regions that make sense where you've got you know, abundant renewable energy. Um, Iceland is a great story, right? So there's, there's a number of places that we would, we would strongly consider um, but there are a number of boxes that have to be ticked before we would be willing to take that kind of a risk with with shareholder capital yeah definitely
1: well matt i enjoyed this i'm glad we finally got to connect in person this was this is fun
0: me too thanks for having me it's been uh, it's been cool i i really appreciate the opportunity yeah thanks for coming on